There's like nothing out there. Like we're in the middle of nowhere. And so I called the internet. And oh, like, like, where do you live? So I get my address. <clears throat> and they're like, yeah, we've got like uh, a whole bunch of houses on that street waiting for internet. The city hasn't laid fiber yet, and so we can't come install for. And it was like, it was the end of June, and let's see, we moved in the middle of May. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it's one of those podcasts? Okay, hold on. <laughs> I'm let, just kidding. Let me get a drink. Uh, I'm, I'm going. I'm going radio silent for two seconds. Yeah. While you, while you're while you're in there, I'm gonna I'm gonna just bring my bubbles up close to the mic here. Okay. All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. Pop it. Oh, that was like commercial. That, I know, man. That was that was like a Coca-Cola commercial foley right there. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was so good. You know, one of one of my dearest ambitions, I had two things that I really wanted to do in high school that I never got to do. One was I wanted to gather the entire the entire student body into the auditorium and just hand out cheap cans of soda, just like Shasta, you know. Uh-huh. And just give them a three, two, one, and have everybody pop it at the same time. I thought it would be so satisfying. That would be cool, but where did this derive from? I don't. I honestly don't know. But I, I don't remember when I first started wanting to do that, but I know that I wanted to do it for years while I was in junior high and high school and never got around to it. The other thing I wanted to do was get on a skateboard and have everybody at the end of the year know they open all the lockers to clean them. And I just wanted uh-huh. to skateboard down the down the hall with a handout and just boop, 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 just slam all the lockers shut <laughs> in sequence. I thought it would be so fun. Oh man! I've got a little brother who's actually he's a he's a janitor at the uh, Spanish Fork Junior High, and uh, he said he's done that a few times. <laughs> so I'm pretty jealous. And I need to take him out on for the lunch. skateboard or just closing everything. Nah, just running, just running down the halls, closing everything. So I'm yeah. I'm gonna take him to lunch sometime this summer and see if he, I can get him to you know hook me up, <laughs> get me in there. <laughs> <laughs> So so no internet though. Tell me what, what's oh, so what's yes. up with that? Oh, sorry, you know me. I'm a space cadet, so hmm. keep me on track. <clears throat> so no internet. So they're like, yeah, we're gonna install like the city's supposed to install in six weeks. Like six weeks. You can't like, one, have can't no internet, internet for six weeks. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm a millennial. What's up? And then two, my wife works from home. Home, oh, yeah. So work, um, her work got her a, a hot spot. So, but mm. it's like totally terrible. Mm. And then we just bit the bullet and upgraded our phone, internet. Dude, we've been running off two gigs shared for years. Mm. Wow, that's, now that's we're a like, tight budget. I, I know, right? We're so we're so dumb. We're like, oh, I'll spend $40 at the gas station for licorice and peanuts on a road trip. <laughs> but like, I won't spend another $15 a month for unlimited internet. Or like... The worst is speaking of road trips. I'll eat McDonald's for a three dollar meal, but I'll spend forty bucks at the gas station for the road trip <laughs> yeah. snacks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so no internet. So this morning I am at my sister's house. So that's kind of why I was like, "Oh, right now you're your." I didn't know place. if yes, oh, yeah. Gotcha. So mm. anyway, man, did you relocate just for me? Just for you. That was really nice. Is your sister far away, or did you move closer to your sister? Well, if I told you she was far away, then it'd be more impressive. Right? Yeah, that's right. She's in, like, Alaska or something. You went up to Juneau yeah. to do this interview. <laughs> it took me, like, six minutes to get here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, across town. 
I saw this picture on the internet though. Since that's have, well, I have nothing else to do but scroll on my unlimited data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotta gotta use it. Now that you and, got it, don't waste it. Uh, I saw a picture of you. You were chilling out, playing your pipes like downtown. Provo. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. What's all that I, about? I just saw. I hadn't I hadn't seen the picture or video until this morning. And I pulled it up and I started laughing. I I should not have been reclining like that. That was silly. <laughs> but there was just like a bike. Mm-hmm. There was just like a bike rack thing there, and it was pretty comfy. And I was out there playing for like twenty minutes, so I just started leaning on it. And so then when uh, Dave came out, the I'm not sure if he's a pastor there at that church. It's the Provo Community Congregational Church of oh, Christ. Yeah, I, think yeah. I, got, I think I got that name right. Like like some other churches we might know of locally, it's a long name. <laughs> and so, oh, right. Yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I should, I should have been thinking and stood up. It would have made, uh, made better copy if I'd been standing up straight instead of but, <laughs> chilling. But I guess what, what is it you were doing? Oh, the Provo Art Crawl. Um it's just like there are a few like restaurants and um, mm-hmm. places like that along sort of that's that's not Main Street. What is that street? Is that University? University like, Avenue. Yeah, I think it's University Avenue. They and and maybe it goes on other streets as well. But you know they just have local artists can put up their art inside of local businesses and then people can move from business to business. You know, buy a snack, look at some art, maybe buy some art, that kind of thing. And that church, you know, they're trying to raise money right now to do a big rehaul. And I really want to help them out however I can for sure because a, it's a beautiful building, man. It's uh, way cool. It's so cool. And so I'm playing it, I played in that building. Yeah. For those listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You, I've played, you, you with, played in there. Because the Garden Valley does the – well, they did the St. Patrick's Day that, the one year that I was mm-hmm. there doing that. Yep. yep. That was cool. We joined them for a Christmas concert there once as well. Um. But yeah, it's such a cool building and and really great people running it too. And so you know, so they're doing they're participating in the art crawl partly just to communicate you know, to be to be part of the community, but also partly just like the idea is if you can get people inside that building, it looks kind of cool from the outside anyway, you know. But if you get up close, you mm-hmm. start seeing the really cool detail work around the windows and stuff like that. But if you go inside into their uh, into the uh, is it called the sanctuary? I think the the main sort of main congregational hall in there. Yeah, what would be the chapel or right, right, yeah, the mm-hmm. sort of the main where everybody gathers to hear the preacher. It is such a cool room. This massive A-frame ceiling that just goes up forever you know it's it's just such a cool room so if people can get in there and they see how cool it is you know then it's like you you know you might recruit more people to the cause to try to raise some money for this 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 rebuild that they need to do right so I anyway i was jives with provo because provo well i guess utah probably in general has got a lot of historical buildings or things like that that they're trying to save and keep up so. yep yep it's kind of no, like, that's probably this church probably isn't that old to be marked a historical location but well actually you know the the older part of it so that a-frame was added later but the older part of it is pretty oh. dang old yeah the a-frame is newer okay, that would make sense yeah the other part though i'm uh man mm, maybe i'm just gonna look it up real quick this will take <coughs> it'll take a little bit of a little bit of editing uh in the in the post if i want to be a, a decent Podcast podcaster magic <laughs> that's right um hmm, yeah let's see I'm you need sure. yourself a jamie like joe rogan has oh man if i could get a jamie get a jamie and get a cool studio i wonder what he did with his weird trailer <laughs> I'd, I'd take yeah, it no. <laughs> can i have it joe <laughs> i was chatting with my buddy the other day from work <clears throat> and i was um explaining to him my love for ginger beer oh yeah and uh all the varieties could, can you put it into words well i'm trying yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can put it in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but I, I, well, I, anyway, he likewise 
He's a connoisseur of the ginger beers. Mm. And then with my love and obsession for energy drinks, did I ever tell you about Rockstar? They made a ginger energy drink. Oh, I didn't know that. Now, first of all, did, you, was, did I ever tell you about Rockstar? Like, buddy, I've heard of it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I see I, yeah, about yeah. their ginger energy Have you drink. Heard oh, of yeah. <laughs> this little company. Yeah, this little this little artisan drink. <laughs> but no, I didn't know they oh, made man. a ginger energy drink. Is it still around? I'd drink that. No, it's not. Ah. It and it was it was good. It it had some spice to it. Like it kicked. Yeah. And um, which is what I like in a in a. Oh, me too, beer. man. I want it to burn. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, no, but I noticed that they were getting harder and harder to find, and I was ask a, asking a gas station attendant. I'm like, do you have any ginger beer? She's like, no, I haven't seen them for a minute. And then I, because I buy an energy drink every day on my way to work, I stopped in, and she goes, hey, ginger beer? I was like, yeah. She goes, the, the delivery guy said they are discontinuing it. <sighs> and then he dropped off the last case that my store was going to get. So I bought the case. It was like, you know, 12 drinks or whatever. Yeah. This was like 2017. You're like, a, you're like Elaine from Seinfeld. You're going to like run around town, find all of them and like stock a closet oh completely full of yes. them. Yes. <laughs> I totally forgot about that episode. And so, um, but I did, I, I, you know, I drink one like every three days and just savor it for a month or whatever. Yeah. But it got discontinued. Well, monster just came out with one. Oh. I shouldn't say just now it's, it's probably six months old. Uh, it's no way as good. It's it's very very sweet. No wait, it was Monster that just came out with it. It was yeah. Rockstar that did the good one, and then Monster's coming out with yes. one now. I see. Yeah, so you can get you can you can try one out if you're into that. Yeah. But yeah, like like you said, I don't drink ginger very beer sweet. for the sweetness. I drink it for the for the ginger. For heaven's sake, mm-hmm. I don't want to be spicy. You know, it's a cool one off Amazon. Is unless you go out to like the Midwest or the South. There's a brand called Buffalo Rock. No, wait, didn't yeah. you bring me a, ca- a can of that once? I may have because I had a coworker that was from the South, and he brought back a case, and I grabbed like four or five drinks. I think you did. I don't know I if think I you ever brought shared one to you me. Either, either you brought it to me or you told me about it in such detail that I felt like I'd experienced it, one or the other. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's a really spicy one. Well, we had other plans for this pod- podcast, but I think this is now our ginger beer episode, right? <laughs> no. No. Let's get off topic. All right. Because well, if we do the ginger beer, we've got to do wings with it. And if we're going to do wings and ginger beer, but, I say we take a recorder to Buffalo Wild Wings and yeah, chill. Deal. We can take some prep for that one. We'll do that one. Well, that church, if you're interested, the older part of the church is 130 years old. So it is older. It's probably worth looking up online if you ever it's want like to. It's like 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that A-frame actually isn't all that new. It was added in 1956. So it's getting there as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the old building had a cool look to it as well. I mean, I love that A-frame. Don't get me wrong; I love that A-frame. But the where what the part of the old building that got removed to make make it so they could attach to that A-frame uh, had this really cool sort of Spanish colonial look to it. Very cool. Very cool. So, Does, oh yeah, go ahead. all right, yeah, yeah, yeah? no, yeah. Go <laughs> I was going to talk more about the chapel, but let's get to uh, let's get to the meat and potatoes. The meat and potatoes. Well, tell me, Swan. I want to know how. I don't. I don't know if this book changed the way that you memorize music, but before 100%. I even say what book it is, I want to know how you used to memorize music. Tell me how you used to do it before reading this book. So, uh, let's see. When I was like first starting, um, piping, and for a number of years after that, it was pretty much just, just 
play it again and again with the sheet music in front of me mm-hmm. on my practice channer. And then um, slowly, you know, try to play bits and parts and pieces. Well, but in order, right? It was always start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, play. I've, I've done it. I've played it on repetition so much. I'd try and play it without the music. And I would like look at the music and I'd play it with the music and then I'd immediately look away and I'd play it without the music. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely just like sight reading repetition over and over and over and over until it was kind of drilled in. And then I bet a lot of the memorization, like I'm trying to think back to my early piping days. I bet you a lot of my memorization came from band rehearsal, just playing it together, playing it together, yeah. playing it together, you know, watching the pipe major, um, and kind of following their fingers when I'd get to a sketchy point, mm-hmm. kind of watch what they were doing and and get through those gaps that I hadn't had fully memorized. And even, I guess that has to be like even up until uh, my first season with Garden Valley when mm-hmm. I was getting that set memorized. Because I jumped in in February right after Zach passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember... I remember like mid-April, maybe maybe end of April, probably mid-April. Um, still, I, I, Alex led a, nobody had the music memorized, and Alex led a, a rehearsal, and we just taped the music to the wall, mm-hmm. and we all stood staring at the wall because we were on our pipes and played with our pipes. But same thing, I guess, just sight reading, sheet music, repetition over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about something similar um, that, you know, I was just trying to think to myself because like, so in the book, okay, so I'll, I'll say what the title of the book is, right? We're, we're, we're reading, we, we read uh, Strategies for Learning and Memorizing New Tunes by uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Burns? Is that what? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephanie Burns, Dr. Stephanie Burns. Include the doctor. She earned that. Um she uh, previously wrote uh, Practice Strategies That Cause Musical Improvements, which I have not yet read, but maybe that's the next one we read, huh? Um, I am um, I am into that one, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes. I'll see if I can catch up to you then. Um, so the previous book seems to have been pretty well received. So this book is, as the title would suggest, about memorization. And I was thinking about similar to you, I was thinking about sort of the early pipe band days, you know, when I was playing in the high school pipe band, because she talks in here about, well, she spends a decent chunk of the beginning of the book kind of talking to people who might think that they can't memorize music. Well, it's just because you don't think you can, or it's because you think you're too old. She talks a lot about that. You know, like a lot of people think like, well, I could memorize stuff when I was a kid, but my memory is shot now. So how could I memorize anything, you know? And she does a pretty cool job of sort of dispelling the idea that your memory is getting worse. She suggests that what we forget, we remember that in, in high school, in grade school, we had a lot of stuff memorized. Yeah, like I thought one of the cool things was that she was saying people can remember how much they can't remember. What 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 just happened? <laughs> what, is, what just happened? <laughs> what was that? I just found a helium tank in my sister's <laughs> office. What? Oh, this is so great. Okay, go ahead and just, just take a hit from the helium whenever you want throughout. That will keep things very interesting. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. 
I completely missed the content of what you said because I was my mind was just racing to figure out what was going wrong. I was looking for a break. I was kind of holding my breath, <laughs> waiting for an opportunity, and then I was like, "I'm running out of breath. I just gotta jump in." No, she said what I what I said was, in the book she talks about like all these people like I have such a bad memory, and then she's like, write down all the times where you've you know you've. All the things you've forgotten or all the things somebody else has forgotten or whatever. Right. This is like when she's teaching a clinic, right? So she's got a room full of yes. people. Yeah. And she's like, and then at the end, she's like, isn't it amazing for how bad of a memory you have? You can remember all the times you couldn't remember. <laughs> right. Like all of them like filled up their piece of paper immediately. <laughs> right. Like I forgot this. I forgot this. I forgot this. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so she's talking about how like we think that we used to be like so have such a great memory because we could remember remembering things when we were younger. But she's talks about how our brains kind of jettison the memories of the process of memorizing those things, right? Like we forget that we took copious notes, that we highlighted our notes, that we reviewed mm -hmm. things with friends, we used flashcards, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Our brain dumps all of that and just thinks, I used to be good at remembering stuff, but now my memory is terrible. And here, yeah, and then, you know, this comical example of, like, here's a list of the two dozen things that I forgot in the last week. <laughs> exactly, right? And I think, so, and, and what she's trying to, to do is dispel the myth of, like, having a bad memory. Yeah. Not that some people won't, but, like, the percentage of people are like, I can't memorize, I have a bad memory, my brain's not what it used to be. She's like, that percentage is way too high to be yeah. accurate. Yeah, it's, it, it can And then she starts... Right. You know, she starts doing these types of exercises, right? Like right. the the remember the times that you don't remember, or um, or or, or and then she's well, and I don't know how fast you wanted to to walk through the book and get through the discussion, but she starts taking them through an exercise. Yeah, with the word with uh, the anarchy or, or hierarchy. Hierarchy. That's right. That's right. And memorizing hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah, and let's talk about that that practice. Because the only thing I was going to say was just that I, I reading her description of that made me remember that the way I memorized stuff in my earlier pipe band days was a lot of repetition. I mean, yes. you know, we had an hour and a half pipe class every other day and also after school rehearsals. And then for fun, Zach and I would get together and play our pipe tunes, you know, like our band tunes, you know, because we didn't or have a mortgage or anything like that. And a lot of, yeah, yeah, exactly. So my mind had dumped all of that work that I used to do to memorize. And my mind just goes, man, I can still play the MSR for my junior year in high school. My memory was so good then. Why is it terrible mm -hmm. now? You know, I think what's important to, you know, she, she makes mention of in the book, the, the part that really stuck out to me is the sight reading repetition memorization of music is the wrong way. It is, Right. It is very much, um, well, I can't think of the word I'm looking for right now, but. Inefficient, maybe? Yes. Sight, she goes, sight reading is a separate skill from memorization. Yeah. Which can be encouraging because a lot of us aren't all that great at sight reading. And so we might think I've got to get better at sight reading before I can get better at anything else. That's not necessarily mm -hmm. the case. She says like, you know, you should be familiar enough to be able to read it. But, you know, it, it's like you could have a guy who's not that great at reading sound out the words carefully and slowly. But if he memorizes those words, he can then deliver the speech, you know, with complete yep. fluidity. So. so the thing with hierarchy, right? So in the book, <clears throat> she she does some things. Um, and I guess she does this in workshops too. But she takes the word hierarchy and she 
breaks it into chunks, mm-hmm. like three letter chunks, right? And she and she doesn't just say this conceptually, right? She she in the book they're printed in in this nice way, so you can she takes you through this exercise in the book, which I found like illuminating. Yes. It was really cool, right? So, so she breaks it into chunks, and she just focus, focuses on H I E, right? So then it's like she's like, look away from the book. Don't similar in like not, um, yeah. Anyway, she's like, look away from the book. You know, look at a blank wall, look out into space, visualize with your mind the letter H, the letter I, the letter E, and and see it. Right, and like in the like bold typeface that she has it in that graphic in yes. the book, right? Like you're trying to see, like, yes. you know, is this is this Times New Roman or is this, uh, you know, Comic Sans, right? right? Like, is it see capital? It as it is, is it lowercase? Right. And then I remember she said, you know, point to each letter in the in the blank on the blank wall with your mind's eye, right? Point to it, physically point to it with your finger and say it out loud as you point to each letter H I E and then do it backwards E I H. And then it was like, she wanted you to think of a color associated with that. Right. And I've listened to, um, I listened to a Ted talk about a guy who was, he was a journalist and he was trying to do a story on people that do the memorization competitions that have yeah. these great memorization abilities. And he started learning how to do it. And then he ends up, in, he ends up going in and winning some competitions actually. But he talks about how like um, the out there, the crazy, the random, the extreme um, helps people memorize things. That's one of the tools. There was lots of tools, mm. but um, so what I remember when I was looking at it, I visualized like a neon pink and maybe this is cause I do signs, mm-hmm. right? I do signage. So I was thinking like if somebody made a neon sign out of the letters H I E. And so I, that's what I visualized was neon pink H I E. I'd say it backwards E I H and I'd point to it in the air as I, and this is all part of her. It's written out in the book. This is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then we moved on to R A R same right. thing, do picked a new thing. color, do the whole thing, and then C-H-Y. And then... And, and every time, she's also saying, like, what's the first letter of that set of three? What's the middle one? What's the last one? Mm-hmm. You know, now what's the last one again? What's the middle one? So you're not only learning it in sequence, you're learning just, like, the image. It's like you're getting... Yes. And, and that, I guess that's the idea, right? You're getting a mental image that you can actually look at and reference. Yes, yes, that's very important, because exactly right, like... And I've noticed this too. Like, have you ever been playing a tune and then you just cannot think what's the next note that comes yeah. on the pickup to the second part? But then once one person plays the pickup note for the second part, all of a sudden you can just jump in and finish out the thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, for me, what I'm thinking is this has to do with the the order sequence of like memorizing the flow or sound, but not actually having a visual, a mental image that you can you can picture, close your eyes, picture in your mind and see the music on the page. Right. Like, right. If we, if we want to contrast this, I, I, I remember doing piano when I was younger. Um, I was, there was this complicated piece that I was learning and I had a, uh, I had a very good teacher and, you know, there are different ways to learn. Sure. You know, but like reading her book changed my mind about how to learn music really. 
Because the way that this teacher had me do it, this instructor, he would have me go, okay, what's the first note? Play it five times. Now, what's the second note? Play the first to second note five times. Now, play the first, second, third note five times. Now, first, second, third, fourth note five times, right? And actually, I think it was yeah. 10 times. And so it was 100% building a sequence, right? Yeah. Which which is fine, but what it means is, you know, this this was a, there were a lot of notes in this song. You know, we're talking hundreds of notes, right? So I'm building this long sequence. And so if I get to note 47 and something distracts me and it breaks that sequence so I can't go on to note 48, there is no way for me to pick up at four, mm -hmm. note 45 because the sequence starts with note one. And I'm sure we've yeah. all experienced that, right? If you're playing by yourself and then and you've got something like memorized, you're just playing along, you're kind of in the flow state, right? And then something distracts you, then it's like, I have no idea what comes next. And you can't just pick up where you were. You have to start over again. Right. And so what I thought was really cool is you know, she, she leads you through this exercise, you know, like you said, calling out like, what's the first letter of this phrase? What's the last letter? What's the middle? You know, three different colors, one associated for HIE, one for RAR, one for CHY, visualizing it, pointing at these invisible letters with your finger in midair so that like your, your brain's trying to actually project an image. And then in the end, <clears throat> she has you spell it backwards. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool because all I had to do, and I could do it as fast as uh, Y-H-C-R-A-R-E-I-H, mm -hmm. because I'm not, I, I'm, I'm visualizing. I close my eyes and I can visualize each letter of the word. And so it's not like, oh, I've memorized the word backwards. It's, it's, I've, I've created and ingrained a mental image. So when I close my eyes, it's like I'm reading words off a page and then I just start at the right and read to the left. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, know you could I mean? start in the middle or you could go every other letter because you're looking at it as if you were looking at it on a page, you can do anything yes. with it. Exactly. And like, dude, when I went through that exercise, I was like mind blown yeah i got so excited i was telling my wife all about it i was like sweetie this is changed this is gonna change everything in my life Dude, not just I music went, <laughs> i went to work the next day and i was like i was talking to my coworker. i'm like hey ask me to spell hierarchy backwards he's like what i'm like ask me to spell hierarchy backwards he's like spell hierarchy backwards i'm like y h c r a r e i h and he's like why did i do that <laughs> I'm like, dude, let me tell you all about why I did that. Yeah. But hey, and that's part of it too, right? You can't just do it the one time. You got to kind of top off that memory, kind of run through it and work yeah. on it, right? Yeah. You know, but yeah, and she yeah. talks about that, you know, freshening it up. Yeah, freshening it check up. Check back. Right? And she also, with like music. That's right. And she, and she also talks about this idea of asking people what their front door looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is another good example of what it is that she's doing. Because I, I don't know. I feel like what she's doing is it's a paradigm shift, right? It's like I'm used to memorizing things like in order, in a line, in sequence, you know? And it's not so much saying I'm going to teach you a better way to do that. It's more like saying that's not even the game we're playing. We're not, that's, not, that's not even it. Throw that out. We're doing something entirely different here. So when she asks somebody, tell me what your front door looks like, you have almost definitely never stood in front of your house trying to memorize your front door in some sort of sequ sequential order, right? Like as mm -hmm. if, you know, like from the yep. top left corner down to the bottom right corner or something like that. What you do is you bring up an image 
in your mind because you've walked through your front door so many times you can bring up an image almost like you've got like a like a projector in the back of your brain and if you close your eyes it'll just project the image on the back of your eyelids and you can just look at it and say oh it's this color it's about this big here's what my doorknob looks like and you can probably go further from that and say like now here's what the window next to it looks like and here's what kind of bush i have next to it and stuff like that none of this has been sequentially memorized but you have an image of it and that's just kind of come about naturally and so this hierarchy thing you proactively created an image that you could later reference. And so then the magic, of course, is after going through that exercise, then you kind of, at least for me, that's when I caught the idea. I was like, oh, so what if I could project an image of every tune in my MSR on the back of my eyelids? Exactly right. It's almost like that's cheating. That's exactly how it's, I felt. It's kind of like it's not memorizing, right? It's more like I've got a secret, a secret up my sleeve that I can just pull this music out and look at it whenever I want to. Exactly. I felt the same way. It's like the object is to create a visual mental image like that, that when people talk about like a photographic memory, I thought this has to be the same way, right? It's not that they just look at something, they have it memorized. It's they look at something and they have a visualization and image that's imprinted. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to force to happen in memorizing the music. And then I thought it was really cool because throughout the whole book, she's got quotes and interviews and stuff with um, all these type mu- uh, top musicians in the pipe band world. Right. There's so um, you, I've got the list here. What we got? Jack Lee. Yep. Re- he's a big deal, of Stuart course. Stuart Little's in there. Stuart Little. Reed Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Steve McWhorter. Steve McWhorter. Now, mm-hmm. Zeph and Nichol. Um, so I think, I mean, no offense to the guy. It sounds like he was instrumental, especially in this book, but I hadn't heard yeah. of him before. I'm pretty sure I could be totally wrong. And if you have some, some listeners that know different, they're going to crucify me, but I think he plays with SFU and then he helps with the RMM program. Yeah, I definitely, I'm pretty sure. I think there's a bio at the end of the book and I'm pretty sure SFU does come up. Um, I don't remember who else is in there, but she got all these top people. I remember, but I remember Jack Lee specifically, right? Yeah. So, so we just talked about like color coding things and breaking it into chunks and, and looking at things frontwards and backwards and middle out. Right. With the word hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. And then Jack Lee talks about some of the things that he does. Like he will, um, he'll listen to somebody playing the tune He'll sing the tune. I know Jack's big into canter rock too. Yeah. Um, so, but he'll sing the tune. He'll listen to somebody play the tune. He says he likes to get up and walk around and like have his feet moving. Oh yeah. Didn't he say like he finds that the more parts of himself are engaged, like whether yeah. it's movement or, or moving his, you know, singing or something, you know, his voice, whatever it is, the better yes. it goes yeah. for him. He, he made mention of that. And so, he started throwing out like some tools to use to create this mental image beyond just like color and chunks and, and order of things. Mm. So I thought that was really cool because that then gave me some, um, some other tools to use to try and create this image. Yeah. It is interesting that when I read that, it's like there are disparate points that, would not have otherwise connected. But as I read through these, I love the little interviews and comments that she has from these musicians because it's really insightful. Because it's kind of like, from what I understand, she kind of bounced ideas off of these people as she was writing the book and then kind of maybe had them review it in a in a semifinal state as well. And then like say like, well, yeah, this works for me. Or I didn't try this until you mentioned it, Stephanie, but now I've tried it and it works. Yeah, here's my experience with it. Mm-hmm. 
And it made me think of when I was younger and doing community theater and trying to memorize lines for these plays I was in and how often, you know, if I had like a, a long chunk of lines and I couldn't remember or a long sequence of lines where someone else would talk, then I would talk and it was hard to remember it. One of the things that worked really well was just to look around on the stage and think about like what props would be there and, you know, think like, okay, there's going to be a potato in the cart and potatoes make me think of this. That means that, you know, this line is what comes next. You know, like I'd look around spatially and like use the space around me to help me remember stuff. And then even when I was reviewing my lines by myself, I just close my eyes and go to the stage and I could look around it and see the potato there and I would remember my line. I just never would have thought mm -hmm. of using this as a, like a strategy for music though. That's, that's the thing that like it was not connected before. Yeah. So I thought like... <clears throat> I, I mean, I guess I'm probably just talking myself in circles, but like this, this is the way to do it. Like, holy cow. Yeah. I did that exercise and I was, and then, and I immediately started like just memorizing stupid words backwards. Yeah. Just because. <laughs> yeah. And, and, does, like, and does she say something like that? Like when you first start learning these strategies, go ahead and memorize everything oh, yeah, you can. Use it. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's definitely like a skill that you have to learn. Mm -hmm. Right. And you become better at it as time goes on. And this I have noticed, um, she starts talking about patterns in pipe music because of the way it's structured. Right. And and I did notice um, I've I've listened through listened through a couple learning strategies with like Ken Eller. Um. And Ken Eller was talking about and, and Stuart as well. Um, I've watched I watched a conference with him on it, but um they start talking about tools and things for memorizing music and this repeating pattern that you see through pipe music is pretty prevalent. And so I noticed that, you know, once I jumped back in um, with Wasatch and it was like, we've got two MSRs, we've got um, our medley, and then we've got a set of six eights, a set of nine eights, a set of three fours, a Peabrock jig set. Like they, they just got a whole bunch of show tunes and warm up tunes and march on and off tunes and mm -hmm. stuff for drum majors when they're the duty band playing for the drum majors, things like that. It's like a whole lot of tunes. And I just come off the season with garden Valley when I had to learn all of their music. Mm -hmm. And like, I was definitely getting better at it and better at it. Like I was honing that skill, but I really started to recognize that repetition. And so, I usually break things up by measures um, when I'm looking at a new piece of music. So I'll take a new piece of music <clears throat> and I'll just start highlighting each measure with a different color for, that's different. Mm. And pretty soon, like half of the second line is a repeat of the first line. And then when you get to the second part, you've got two or three parts that come from the first part and then you've got some new music. And then you get to the third part and you've got some recycled stuff from, from two and one. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the fourth part, and of course there's new bits, and it's recycling stuff from three. And you're like, you're memorizing. Like when you look at that sheet of music, what you have to memorize is like half of that or right. less. Or less. Yeah, you'll get a 32-bar piece of music. There's actually only eight bars of distinct mm -hmm. stuff, you know? And it's the order. Yeah. Right? Or like, and now I've started to notice like you'll have the whole measure is the same except for the last note will be like, a different note because it becomes a pickup or an embellishment or something. And so it's like, even without all the other skills that Stephanie, had, I hadn't read the book yet, just recognizing 
the repetition and highlighting the music really, really started to open up the speed at which I was like memorizing things. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that part of it, I don't remember if she mentioned this in the book, but do you think part of it is like when you first see that new piece of music, like it can be a bit overwhelming just because it feels like a lot, but then breaking sure, it down I mean, like this yeah. makes you go, Oh, it's actually not that much. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but she kind of mentions that, right? Cause she says, before you start to memorize it, right? She, so she makes a big distinction. There's a difference between sight reading and memorization, two different mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, and she mentions that we should talk about this in a second. Do not memorize while reading the music. Oh, yeah. That was really interesting to me, too. Definitely <clears throat> nothing I'd ever thought of, for sure. Yes. All right. So let me go back. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say. Well, we were talking about oh, highlighting does, music and stuff, right? Yeah, but so Stephanie does say you mentioned something, and you're like she doesn't mention it in the book, but oh, it's, oh, it's, daunting, right? Yeah. So this is what she does say. She goes, "You need to be able to play all the pieces." Yeah. Before you start to memorize, so you should look up. You should pull up your sheet music, and it's like, okay, yeah, looks good, good, okay. Uh oh. A uh, I've got a whatever. A bubbly note for yeah. a. Or a Tarlua from... From a reverse tackum or something, something impossible. Something right? silly, right? Yeah. Or a Dardo or some crazy embellishment. Yeah. It's like you need to kind of work on that with your practice channel, with the music, kind of grind that out to where you can play it. And mm-hmm. it's not mastering it and becoming perfect, but it like has to be playable so it's not as daunting. And then you go back to start to memorize. And um, It's like, it's like yes, if you were okay. reading a book or trying to memorize like a speech, right? And there's a word in there that's really complex. You'll exactly need to take right. a minute to sound it out to where you mm-hmm. can actually say it. Right, perfect. Yeah. So she mentions that. And then and then what, what I just brought up, right? Your brain's doing two different things when it's sight reading versus memorization. Yeah. And, and again, and when, when we say memorization here, we mean making a mental image of it. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. building a sequence. Right. And so... I thought that was super, super eye-opening. And so I started I started to do that. I would, I'll download a PDF of the music from the band. I'll pull it up in Photoshop and I'll start highlighting, breaking things down into segments, creating different color codes so that it's, it's helping me, right? It's another tool to memorize. So now I know, oh, I've got four pink measures and the pink measure is like this and I can see where they're at in yeah. my mind. I've got one at the beginning of the first, one in the second bar of the second part, and then whatever, whatever. And and you're breaking it down by measures. I think some people break it down by phrases or parts, but like in, in any way, whatever it is, right? Whatever it comes mm-hmm. out to, it's a tool that helps you. So if it's helping you, that's the that's the yeah. idea. And she was like, you know, be fluid with it. Like some people, they need to memorize maybe a beat at a time, right? Yeah. Maybe half a measure. Other people, a measure is a good starting point, she said. She goes, as you gain skill, you can be memorizing a couple measure part. You know what I mean? Yeah, and not not but, to keep alluding to just reading like books, but that's the the science of spe- reading more fluidly and even speed reading is that you go from you know letters that sound that sounded out make words, and then you're reading words, and then eventually people read lines of text at a time. Yeah. Yep, same thing. Perfect analogy. Yeah. I thought it was really cool too because one of Jack's comments was that he does not pull out the practice channel and start playing through the music. He picks it up. He walks around the room. He sings it to himself. He's listening to it. 
But all that memorization starts without playing it, without playing it while reading it, I guess. Yeah, I think Stephen McWhorter actually said something similar, like uh, he can't remember the last time that he memorized a tune with sticks in his hand, Mm -hmm. which just blew my mind, you know. But like he'd do the memorizing independently of holding his sticks, you know, and then he'd play it from his mental image. One of the things I thought was so cool about about all this is like, I don't feel like Stephanie was talking so much about the band setting mm, for yeah. memorization. I thought she was talking really about like soloing type thing or, or solo playing and stuff. And cause like when I first thought memorization, I think of like, um, I'm sure we've all got people in our bands where it's like, man, so-and-so struggles to memorize music. And it's like two weeks before we compete and maybe they don't have it down. Maybe that's yourself. Maybe you don't have it down. You know, maybe yeah. I, Mike, Mike, maybe Mike Swan doesn't have that piece of music down. Oh, I've been sitting there in the band tent before going on the green with my practice chanter and my music out, just going over phrases no. a million times for sure. Yeah. Right. And so like, I, so I immediately was thinking like band setting, you know, like memorizing music to play with the band. Um, but she was talking about soloing and I guess um, she, she made mention like, have you ever been just playing along and kind of what we talked about earlier, like you're just playing along and then you don't know how the second part starts. Yeah. It's just gone. (laughs) You need the first two notes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and so the point of memorization wasn't that you were cutting out in the middle of uh, competing with the band. The point of memorization was that you weren't stalling in front of the judge. You weren't breaking down in front of the judge Mm-hmm. And I guess that's like the same thing, except there's in a band setting, like if you just need that pickup note or two and you ease off your pressure and cut your channel out and somebody plays the next two notes into the pickup, you usually jump back in and keep going. Sure. Though and I've noticed like, like soloing around. Ideally, we wouldn't do that, right? But, of but course, yeah, like, yes, it, ideally, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is there's kind of like, I mean, there's, I've done it. There's people out there that, I, well, I don't want to say like fake it as the, I think that's the wrong choice of words, but like I've done that. I've been like, Oh, I got super, super nervous about this next upcoming part. I can't think of how it goes. And I ease back off my pressure. My channel cuts out. And so my drones probably go out of tune a little bit. And then somebody plays something and I jump back in. in, Yeah. You know, and the volume of the band's going everywhere and every which way, but like I've done solo stuff when it's just like, I have, no idea what I'm doing. And like, I, this has happened, James, this has happened at least two competitions. So when that happens, do you just make a song up? No, what usually ends up happening is I end up playing one part three times. Oh yeah. You just kind of run because in circles until like, you can oh, remember what I to do. I kind of missed that pickup, right? Yeah. And then it's like, what do you do? Well, the first time that ever happened to me, I made up for it by playing the fourth part only one time. <laughs> well, the judge, did like, the judge notice? Fourth part twice? <laughs> Well, I, I had mixed experiences. Yeah. Neither time have I placed, I'll, I'll say that. But yeah. like, <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know what the official rule is, but I think it's like, if all, if if the correct bar, the correct amount of bars of music is there, like I haven't been disqualified. Yeah. But I definitely wasn't rewarded for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I've, I've made up a whole tune before. I think it was, what is, what do you do in grade three? Is it a stress by real? There's some com- I mean, there's yeah, some yeah, combination one that you can do. 
Yeah, this is just be real. There's also, I think, I think grade three might have a hornpipe jig. It was stress bay real for sure. I, it was definitely the stress bay real. I had I had the stress bay down great. The reel was so shaky. I got to the reel, played the first part, could not remember anything else. So I made up a reel that loosely followed <laughs> that reel's form. <laughs> it was a terrible performance, and yeah, I did not do well either. <laughs> but it wasn't even like it My followed the form, is... but it wasn't even remotely the right song. <laughs> Let me just gripe for a minute. Go ahead. My problem is this: if you break down. I would say 50% of the time they don't even give you a judging sheet or or they give you a judging sheet with no comments on it. It's just like broke down. Yeah. Or it just says scratch or a line through it or something like that. Yeah. And my thing is I'm going to sit there drone and play low A with G Grace notes for 32 bars of music so I can get a flipping judging sheet with comments so I know where to improve. Yeah. You did like, pay the money and they are there anyway and you've got a time slot. So why not? I, that's my thing. Like, and some people are there. It's like, well, the only thing that matters is, is the points and the placing. It's a competition. You're there to win. That's the idea. And then there's the other mentality of like, I want to know where to improve. Like, maybe I'm not taking private lessons, but I want someone who knows what they're doing to give me some pointers. Yeah. So play for I, sheets, I, as the Chanarant guys would say. That's right. And I think I think that's becoming a common thing to, the idea to play for comments and sheets and improvement. That's how it ought to be anyway. It should should always be striving to improve. And then as you improve, your best performance will win it or not on the day that it is. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't sold as much as you have, but the experiences that I have had, most judges have been really great people. And uh, I think probably if you broke down and then just were like, well, I scratched, could I still play through the tune that I remember for you or something? They'd probably say yes and give you some notes or something. Yeah. Or ask them to like, hey, can you give me pointers on my judging sheet, even though it's a scratch? Just yeah. I want to yeah. know where I can improve, or even verbal comments. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I was quite surprised. Like, I've seen so many people perform, and then they just like thanks, and then they walk off. Mm-hmm. I played in Payson, and I walked straight up to the judging table. Mm. And I don't know what I was thinking. Like, if I was gonna say like, thanks for judging or whatever. You were gonna slip him a twenty dollar yeah. bill. That's what you're thinking. I walked up to that judge. And he just started giving me like a million things of feedback mm. and they weren't good. <laughs> it was <laughs> kind of like, it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Cause my parents were watching. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom's like, how'd you do? My dad's like, doesn't sound like you did well. <laughs> <laughs> Very honest. Definitely father. <laughs> didn't do well. Thanks. <laughs> well, the judge was just not like, he wasn't, um, he, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. The judge wasn't just like, here's a lot of things you need to fix. Right? It was like, like, you're wasting my time. Pretty much. Like, oh, I remember man. one of the things, one of the things that stood out to me is he's like, <clears throat> he goes, we expect people at this level to at least be able to get their drones in tune. Oh. And I was like, man. Okay. Like, I was hit so hard. I don't even remember half the other things he said. I went back to the band tent struck up and my my drones were flipping rock solid <laughs> like a gospel choir right <laughs> and i was like what and i like asked a few people to listen to my drones They're like they sound great i'm like mm. do they sound out of tune like there's no double toning right right do they sound in tune like i'm not i didn't 
get high before I went and competed, right. and I'm like hearing what I want to hear and not what's actually there. Yeah. Like, and they're like, no, that sounds good. I'm like, I just got my butt reamed. <laughs> it's, it's the weird it's weird yeah. like bagpiping co- competitive anything that is like art is is weird anyway right but it's kind of like it's like watching olympic figure skating you know yeah like in the end did you impress the judge you know like you try to make it technical you try to make it so that there are like you know arbitrary means of judging the quality of the performance and to some degree you're probably successful but in the end there's so much of like personal opinion and it's like it's like those studies that have been done that like judges in like criminal courts give more severe punishments before lunch and less severe punishments after lunch oh yeah you know it's like hangry man yeah that's you got to get a judge who had a good night's sleep get your judges a decent hotel room when you when you're hiring them or everybody's going to do terribly the next day right <laughs> As long as it's even. <laughs> yeah, right. As long as it's even, right? <laughs> it, is, like, it is funny, though. There's there's just in, inherently, like, there, inherently, um, like, how, what would you call it? Like, there's a there's just opinion and personal experience so inherently baked into all of it that it's tricky. Yeah. So, on, um, on this book, so is there anything else you want to talk about in the book before I'd like to get... I'd like to talk to you about your experience with trying to memorize tunes after reading the book. Oh, yeah. Is there any more things you wanted to hit on inside um, of the content of what Stephanie was putting down? Well, basically, I think we pretty much covered it, you know, because like, as I was reviewing my notes from having read it, um, I had to keep reminding myself, like, we're not doing an audio book, right? We're not, like, reading the book. We're, we're giving a yeah. taste of it, and hopefully... I'm really hoping people that we've given a, that we've given a decent taste of it because it's a great book. Like I'm hoping everybody in the yeah. band in, in Garden Valley will get a copy of this book and read it um, and apply it because and, and everybody I, else too yeah. in the world. This I think it's amazing. Like I am definitely like a fiend for divul of like the the um, words. <laughs> I'm definitely words. like I'm definitely I'm definitely a little crazy for consuming content. Yeah, I love it, right? And there's not a lot of bagpipe content out there, at least compared to other genres and stuff. Yeah, so I'm definitely willing to give my money towards things like that. And James, thank you for buying me this book. Hey, you're welcome. Um, that's that's your man, that's the only compensation you receive for giving hours and hours of your time to the podcast. So I love this; <laughs> it's so much fun. But uh, so I guess what I'm saying is, uh, I would have no problem, and I would encourage everybody to to put forward the money. Like after I read this book, I was like, Oh man, she's written two. Where's the next one? And I yeah. went straight to Amazon and bought that one. Yeah. And so, I mean, the ebook is what, like seven bucks. Like, yeah, I bought the Kindle version. So worth it. So worth it. The only other thing that I wanted to kind of point out is just how I was struck by how often not only Stephanie herself, but also the people who she's interviewing these world-class drummers and pipers talk about using strategies like saying you know uh i think it was a 13 strike 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 a 13 stroke roll is hickory dickory dock or that they highlight their music with colors you know stuff like Uh that because i see you know there's that mcnewby's annotated bagpipe music uh facebook group that i'm uh, not familiar with oh oh i did actually did an interview with the guy it's gonna it'll uh, well shoot if this interview goes out in january then it will have come out a, a little while ago but um he's actually local great guy um doesn't play with any pipe bands right now he just basically gives himself he gives a lot of time to this facebook group for like learning bagpipers who are having a hard time memorizing music 
and he helps them annotate the music where he'll put the note name underneath the note if that's what they need but the main thing is highlighting it with colors and he's got a lot of hate from a lot of people online you know people going crazy like that's only nine notes Uh, you got to learn it proper there's no reason for all this higgledy piggledy color coding and stuff you know um but man why you know if it works if it helps why not and then to have people like these amazing players saying that's what i do just it legitimizes the tools right and i i absolutely i really liked that a lot that that i thought that was awesome to be like yeah you know he jack Both. lee sings it you know and yeah anyway no you're exactly right like stephanie is saying use color and through her exercises she's using color <clears throat> Stuart little when i sat through his presentation same thing breaking it down highlighting it in color ken eller same thing dude ken eller that um little pitch for piper's dojo right mm-hmm. uh i think if you sign up as a premium member you should be able to find ken eller's uh video on memorization in their archives and he talks about when he uh joined in with um the frasers up in uh up in canada and he had to learn like 60 tunes in two months. He had to learn a mm. tune a day um, to be able to cut it for their their big comp, uh, concert thing that they were doing. Yeah. And so he talks about having to learn how to memorize for that and stuff like that. But it's so cool. But anyway, you know, using color, breaking it down, just like we've talked about, things that are going to help you create that mental image. And, and going back to the TED Talk that I watched on the guy that was had won memorization competitions, like, they, uh, you know, th- those extremes, those, like, he, he said, and I, I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, he would use these extreme things, and so your your brain would latch onto that more. So, like, mm. if he was trying to tell a story, and he'd create the story and then write it down and stuff like that, he would, uh, he would have elements just similar to you like you were memorizing the prop location and and things like that in the play he would remember like cookie monster sitting on top of a parade float uh that was being pulled by a corvette like that's kind of that's out there like each one of those would be like a symbol or a jumping point it'd be like the pickup note into the next phrase Mm -hmm, yeah you know what i mean and um i i felt like it was very much that way we look at a black and white sheet of music every time we're going to go memorize, right? Yeah. And then as soon as you start like putting highlighters down and drawing little figurines and doodles and parentheses and stuff like that. Hey, I hadn't even thought of that. I love that idea. Add some doodles to it. That's, that's Uh a great idea. Then you really start creating those, uh, those extremity things that your brain's going to latch on more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think she says something in the book about like find the similarities and then note the differences. And I maybe I'm making connections that weren't there, but if I remember right, she talks about how like finding the similarities helps you to kind of relax and realize you're only memorizing so much stuff and you're gonna reapply it here, here, and here. But then spotting those differences is like these are the touchstones where you like you know, like like you say that the that's like the transition point where you go from this part to this part, right? This is like your um your lighthouse on the rock, right? Where it's like, ah, now we move to yeah. this. You know, this is kind of off topic, and I, and I know I'm going to slaughter it if there's like some academic out there in the listening audience. But 
they did a study on like men's brains and women's brains and they asked them to do stuff like draw a bicycle from memory and how do you get to this place and stuff like that. They did like mazes, hedge mazes and people really got that uh, they would do different things that would screw up women and not the men and they'd do things that would screw up the men and not the women. And like one of the things that they mentioned was um, one of the genders would they were looking for like key points like in memorizing the bicycle they're like this tube goes down and it eventually connects to the crankshaft mm. the pedal crankshaft and then from there it goes up and it eventually connects to the the top tube where the not the top tube uh, that's 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 a different tube completely but i don't remember the name for it but where your handlebars go through right and then yeah. from where your handlebars go through you have the top tube that goes to the seat post and then from the seat post, you have the chain stays and the wheel stays that come down and blah, blah, blah. And so one of the genders was like looking for the, the intersection points and was able to draw a bicycle from memory much more accurately. Mm. And it makes me think of like when I'm driving down the road, I'm not really paying attention to how long the block is or the house is on the block. I'm looking for the corner that I'm supposed to turn at. Oh. Yeah. And I know I just go down here until I get to this specific stoplight. And so what you were kind of saying, it made me think of that, like noting the differences, like looking for similarities, but noting the differences. It's mm -hmm. like sometimes we get in that flow state and we're just cranking through that second part. But the intersection is when we've got to get to the pickup note to the next part. Yeah. Or where does the repeat happen? Or where's the one note that's different? You know, this, this, this bar music and that bar music, from two different parts of the exact same, except for there's one note difference. Yeah. They play a D instead of an F. Where does that happen? And looking for that intersection point. Mm -hmm. hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Or, or when transitioning from one tune to the next, that's one in the band setting. That's always been a challenge mm -hmm. for me. First of all, figuring out how are we going to transition here? You know, do we hold this note out or do we, you know, cut this note out and put the beginning of the next tune in there? Or do we write four bars that transition, you know, whatever it is. And if I've just barely repeated the last part of the of the first tune twice, how tempted will I be if I'm on cruise control to just keep repeating it instead of going into that different thing to turn the corner, as it were, into the next tune? Right. So after reading the book, did you have the opportunity to put memorization into play? Yeah. Or not yet? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a... The first, the first tune that I tried it on was... Um, and it's funny that I'm not sure what the tune is called, but it's an it's an Irish like uh, like an Irish national tune um, that was a request for a wedding that I was going to play. There was a really simple tune, you know, just a march, you know, but uh, I basically just needed to stick it in my head real quick so I could go and do it for this wedding. And uh, so I just color coded it. And basically it was just two colors, you know. Wait, did you color code it with red and green? No, I didn't. <laughs> That's that is one Why challenge. Why not, James? <laughs> that is one challenge to this color coding thing. If you're if you're severely colorblind, <laughs> you gotta you gotta. Yeah. Got, so I've got I've got three different sets of like different um, different highlighters from different companies, so that between them I have enough options that I can have like you know three or four colors that are distinct enough one from the other. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah, awesome, that, that's probably part of why the doodle thing, I hadn't even thought of it when you mentioned it. That is so appealing to me. Cause like, like I use Trello a lot. You familiar with Trello? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I use that a lot for my personal life as well as for work. And I, I love the developers 
so much, if for no other reason than because they included a colorblind mode. So you don't have to color code stuff. They have That's a pattern cool. option. So it's like diagonal lines, polka dots, checkers, right? Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Now, of course, that's kind of hard with sheet music where it's already black and white. If I'm going to go on there with a black pen and draw patterns, it's going to get really confusing. But what I'm thinking right yeah, now like, is why don't I use my highlighter on a physical piece of paper and do diagonal lines for part one in yellow, you know, and then the next part might be the next thing I highlight might be orange, but maybe I'll do curly cues in it, you know, because that pattern might actually be better for me than the color because my my day to day life, I cannot depend upon color, you know. And so I'm yeah. just not used to using it. And so maybe if I use patterns, it would work even better for me. Well, remember, I work at a sticker shop. Like, Yeah. You could do like quarter-inch size stickers, like little tiny stickers mm. with different drawings on them, like just different whatever, symbols, letters, kangaroo, horse, mm. octopus. I don't know. You could put those like, above each measure, right? Yeah. Or just draw that's, something or whatever. But yeah, it kind of like makes it novel. That is what my, my kids in their piano program, that's what their instructors have them do, is when a part repeats, the at the beginning of the part, they have them draw like a star. And then they'll draw that star at the beginning of every part that repeats. And then on the next part, they draw a smiley face. And they draw a smiley face at the beginning of every part that's like the smiley face. And then usually like the last part is going to be like a star, but a little bit different. So then they'll do like a star with a circle around it. Yeah. Hmm. Just a slight change, yeah. Same thing with pipe music. Well, I'll tell you, though, my, my favorite application of this so far, and I do definitely still feel like I'm a baby with the process, you know? In fact, there's a part in the book where it says something like memorization is a journey, not a destination, you know? Like, you'll always be getting better at yes. it and tweaking it and stuff. So I definitely feel like I'm at the beginning of that journey still. But there is a Fred Morrison tune called uh, Shawnee's Tune. That It's from his uh, Outlands album that uh -huh. I've been trying, he plays it in a set with two other tunes and I've been wanting to learn it for years and trying to learn it for fewer years, you know, but there's this one part, right? I've got, I'm going to pull the music out and, and do you, are you familiar think, with the tune? Uh, I may have, cause I've listened to Sutter Morrison stuff, yeah. but um, you know, I, and, and while you're pulling out that music, uh, I think one of the things that I'm thinking about is that, interview you did just a little bit ago on the small pipes and like how some a lot of times small pipes aren't accurate or the music isn't it's or maybe this was an interview with ross miller i could be mixing up a couple interviews but it's like lots of times small pipe music is just feeling the jam and it's not oh, specific yeah. and if you miss a note or you miss a doubling nobody knows nobody cares you just keep going and and, and that's different for great highland pipe competition and stuff but for um, sure I, I think the one of the things that I don't think we've said yet, but for me, the biggest part of having your music completely memorized so that you're not struggling to play the tune is now you get to become expressive and creative as a musician to evoke that emotion right. in your performance, right? Yeah, and I remember that in the book they say something like, okay, first we're going to take the emotion out of it. We're going to do this work. Then you're more free to put the emotion into it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is true. Like a lot of times you buy a book of like small pipe tunes. A lot of times there aren't even embellishments written in. It's just assumed that you're going to kind of do this the way you want to do it. Interesting. It's definitely kind of more loosey goosey in that way. But Shawnee's tune, it's one that starts, it's a stress, but it starts out like this. Does that sound familiar at all? 
No, that's right. Well, it's not the train journey north, but it sounds kind of like that one. It kind of picks up steam as it going as it, as it goes. But just check okay. this part out and tell me if you can imagine why this would have been hard to keep straight. Uh, it's in the what is it like the third part or so? It goes like this. Sorry, I did that. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I did that a little bit messy, but I'll, I'll leave it in uh, because it, I'll, I'll be authentic. I was, it's I was real. I was a little bit nervous, so I did it a little bit messy. Uh, but it's just lying. but you get the idea, right? Like, of course, that section. I love it. So I want to do it right. You know, when it's done right, it sounds amazing. But man, it was hard to do it right. You know, just like I just end up going f a f a f a f a f a just for a while and being like, now it feels about like it's time to switch to the other one. You know, yeah, and yeah. so. 100% I went in colored it looked at like each little tiny section of notes and just like went here's what it looks like forward here's what it looks like backward now here's what it looks like to just look at the space between the notes you know and so then honestly the beginning of that tune because I'd already been practicing it kind of you know kind of trying to learn it for a while I've got a kind of sequential memory for it already in place uh -huh. you know so it's kind of like I'm in autopilot but when I come to that part I pull up an image of just that part and I can go, okay, I don't have to count. Because that's what I'd tried before. I'd tried going, okay, there are, you know, three or four, however many there are Fs before it switches over to the Es, you know. So then as I'm trying to play it, I'm also trying to count them. I always would lose count. So it just was not working. So just when I get to that part, I can bring up that image and just play the sheet music without yeah. actually looking at the sheet music, you know. No, exactly. And that's, I mean... That's how that's what I took from the book is that's what it should be done, right? Because she yeah. talks about different levels of memorization, and you know, eventually you get to that level of amazing grace where it's like it's now muscle memory. Yeah, you could you could make breakfast while you're playing it and not even skip a beat. Right, but there's, she talks about like I think she mentioned like three different levels of memorization, but <clears throat> having that it's like having it's like marching into the circle with the sheet music in hand. You can yeah. just pull it up mentally and visualize it and just, at that point, sight read the music that you've created a mental image of. Yeah. And it's even better than, like, we say sight read, but, like, of course, you've also been playing it for a while, so it's, like, you're also very, very familiar with it. It's just, like, it, it sounds yeah. too good to be yeah. true in so many ways. And maybe that's part of why it feels like a big chunk of the beginning of her book is in is dedicated to, like, telling you, no, really, this is real, this really can work. Yeah. Like, here's how, here's the science, and here are some examples. I promise this can work because I know once you read it, you're going to say this is too good to be true, but really, it can be true. And that's definitely the way I felt. Totally. But I, I mean, it's, it's what you said. It, it, it can work because it takes work. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to put in the work of playing it hundreds of times, sight reading, I say put in the work doing it this method because it's anyway, you know, so I, I as well have, have been using it since then. Um, dude, it, grade two, it seems like we never stopped learning new music. Yeah. And then of course, <laughs> and then I, but the first one I started, um, field marshal plays a, an opener on, um, the spice of life on their impact, uh, album. And it's Donald McClellan of Rothsay. Mm, it's yeah. baller. I loved yeah. it. And so I learned it. And so that's what I've been soloing with this year. Mm. So 
it was awesome. Like, it, I mean, it it was cool because I I mean I remember one of the big things that I've tried to do in the last couple of years is is not become that piper that's a master on their practice channer mm, and struggles yeah. on their pipes. Yeah, like I try to move off my practice channer and onto my pipes as fast as I can. Yeah. And so with Donald McClone of Rothsay, I actually went straight to pipes. Oh, did you? So I'm, yeah. And like, of course, it wasn't good and nice. And I was doing it a part at a time. So like, it took me four days, but I'd master, I'd memorize one part and then I would immediately put it on pipes for practice. And then I'd master the second part. Same thing. Not, I should say master, I'd memorize. Right. Get it at least and well enough so, that you could play through it. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then it was going out and hashing out and working out everything on my pipes. And of course, you know, I found out, oh, I was playing the wrong grace note here. I didn't have that mental image as firm as I thought I did. And I was playing one wrong note in the third part. Um, but I would go back and I would, I would check up on it. And it, and it took me a little bit to like get it down and fluid and, and nice, but, but only that week to have it memorized to where I could now just jump on pipes without sheet music and mm. start hammering away at it yeah and isn't that it seems like that's one of the things like maybe partly because this is new or different from the way we've done it before but it's like mm -hmm. this does take work and maybe more intense work but only for a very short period of time and then your life is so much easier it's so much better when like compared to just like sight reading and sight reading and sight reading for a very long time until it sticks in the sequential format in your brain yep. That's just, it takes so much longer and so many more repetitions. Like just from the very beginning, start building the mental image and then you can stand up and play it on your pipes. Like you say, in like four days, instead of after six weeks of going over it a million times by yourself and with the band and trying to find videos and all kinds of stuff, you know? Yep. So worth it. I mean, it's, it's, it's some work, but it's like, it's way more efficient. And especially where since you know thinking about earlier days in pipe band when i was in the high school pipe band and stuff where there was time there was plenty of time to do it in any way it, efficiency didn't matter compared to now where time is such a precious commodity it's like yeah like give me any tool you can right to make it so that i can more efficiently pack this into my brain and carry it with me because i don't have the the leisure and, and free time that i did when i was a kid exactly right I concur. Well, cool, man. So if anybody has not yet been convinced, just take take a, a direct plea from me. I promise it's worth it. Get this book, especially if you're in Garden Valley Pipe Band, because I want to I want to I want all of us to to be able to talk about this when we get together at practices and stuff. Um, I'll put links in the show notes. So feel free to hop over there if you want a direct link. But if you just look up Stephanie Burns bagpipes, I'm sure you'll find both of her books right away. James, before I pass out, I want to thank you for the opportunity to have this interview. <laughs> thank you, Tiny, tiny Swan. <laughs> tiny Tim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Do you know Tiptoe Through the Tulips? No. Oh, now, do you know of Tiny Tim the Musician? Not by that name, no. Okay. So it's well, not the Tim that you interviewed a, li a little bit. No. <laughs> no, Tim Cummings and Tiny Tim are both wonderful individuals, but definitely very different musicians. <laughs> uh, that's uh, okay. Well, this episode will probably fade out. With, uh, <laughs> Just take it from me.
just as free as any daughter. I do what I like, just what I like, and how I love it.